Hi everyone. Before we get started today, I want to talk to you about our newest partner, BetterHelp. Throughout my own grieving process, I have found therapy to be critical in getting me to the point where I am today, and I truly cannot imagine getting through this past year without it. Uh, a lot of the world is still in some sort of quarantine or phased opening, and BetterHelp is a perfect platform for accessing therapy during this time because you can do it from wherever you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist, and you can have your first session scheduled in as little as 24 hours, which is huge. I know for a lot of people, you hit a roadblock in starting therapy because there's a pressure to really find the right fit. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's really easy to change a counselor if you feel like you want a better fit. The therapist you're matched with is available weekly, but you can send messages anytime through the app and get responses between sessions, which makes such a big difference, especially when you are processing a loss. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and they also have financial aid available, which I love and is one of the reasons that I decided to partner with them. We have a special offer for the Grief Coach listeners where you'll get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash thegriefcoach. That's T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash The Grief Coach. You can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. Investing in yourself is so important. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know how much I prioritize doing the work to get through the grief process and BetterHelp is a wonderful platform to leverage to do so. Go to trybetterhelp.com slash the grief coach to get started. Hi everyone, this is Brooke James. Welcome to the grief coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Uh, Today we have with us Noah James, no relation that we know of. Today we have with us Noah James, founder of the COVID Grief Network. Noah, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really glad to be here. All right, so if you want to tell the listeners who you are, what's your grief story, and then we'll get into everything. Awesome. Well, as you said, my name is Noah. I'm one of the founders of the COVID Grief Network, which I'm really excited to share with you more about. Just a brief overview is it's a all-volunteer-run mutual aid network that is offering free individual and group grief support to people in their 20s and 30s who are grieving the loss of someone to COVID-19. And it's a really incredible resource. I feel so lucky to get to be a part of it. It's a really incredible team of people who are really committed and are pouring their hearts into a project that's offering company and community around grief for young adults, which is something really near and dear to my heart. I lost each of my parents when I was a teenager. My dad died when I was 11 and my mom when I was 20. So in these really formative periods of my life and both were unexpected losses. And, you know, I, after my dad died, I felt 
isolated and alone and that I didn't have any other friends who had lost a parent. And it was really powerful and important for me to start attending. I started going to this hospice run grief support group for kids. And, you know, my family had sent me to therapists and I just didn't want to talk to any of these grownups who just sat me down and were like, tell me about your story. And then that's it, which is kind of funny because now I'm a therapist, which I think is <laughs> partially because <laughs> I want to offer relationship that's different than that uh, way of doing therapy. But when I was a kid and, and I just still remember the feeling of sitting in a room for the first time with other kids my age who had lost a loved one. And it just met this need of mine that I didn't even know how to put words to until I realized that it's, I needed to be with other people who had had similar experiences. And I think that's why I became a therapist. And it's why for the last few years, I've been really drawn to working in spaces that are offering recognition of grief. You know, we don't, as a society, those spaces are really limited and especially spaces that are geared towards young adults. We know that often grief resources are for older adults and children. And, you know, even the hospice program I went to was for kids. And, and as a young adult who continues to want to be in spaces with other young adults who have lost loved ones, I've just been keeping an eye out on those spaces and Sometimes we need to create them also. And so a couple years ago, good friends of mine named Chloe and I started running these grief weekend retreats for young adults. And we were in the midst in March of planning another one when the pandemic started. And we asked ourselves, knowing that we won't be able to meet in person for a while, how can we pivot and meet this moment with the resource and the skill and the community that we have. And from that seed is where the COVID Grief Network came from. Wow. There's so many things I want to dive into um, <laughs> from what you just said, but I think a great place um, to start and what I've noticed as a trend as I've been in this space for a little bit over a year is that so many people had a poor experience after mm -hmm. a loss, which I mean, no experience is going to be good, but didn't find the support they needed, didn't feel like someone was talking about it in a way that was accessible to them, mm -hmm. whatever. And I think that's really common in our age demographic, mm -hmm. um, what you were saying earlier. And so, so many people who get into this space are looking to create the resource they wanted. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific things that you try to do in either previously before the pandemic in the retreats or now with the network, you know, just a really big thing is building community, but that you felt you really wanted to address because you didn't have that in your experience. Yeah, for sure. That's such a great question. And so in the network, I feel like that, you know, most of the organizers of the network are young adults who have also experienced big grief. And so we're coming to it from a perspective of, oh, actually we get this and we want to create a resource in a community that we want for ourselves as well. And a place that I see that one is yes, definitely in the community building aspect of what the network offers. So the groups for young adults who have lost someone to COVID get to meet with each other. You know, I, I think right now, the numbers of people who have died to COVID from COVID are so big. It feels like 
mourners, grievers are everywhere. But actually, I think people who have lost someone to COVID, even though in the news, they're seeing stories constantly of how many people have died, don't necessarily have someone else that they know directly who is also grieving someone to COVID. And so I love that we can connect people with each other because it's that's coming from a place of, yes, we believe and we know that it's so powerful to get connected with other people who have experienced similar loss. And then in terms of our individual support that we're offering to young adults, people in their 20s and 30s, I really feel this hope for something different in the ways that we talk with our volunteers who are coming in to offer support and the training that we provide and just the the community values or ethos of what it is that we're offering. You know, we're really clear that this isn't therapy. It's it's accompaniment and witnessing and more of a peer-driven mutual aid model in which the volunteers certainly are the ones who are offering support. It's not uh, equal both ways in terms of what that relationship looks like. But most of our volunteers are people themselves who have experienced loss and are really wanting to show up with people who are grieving. And so there's this, like this really common core culture among us that, you know, we're not just going to sit down with someone on Zoom or on the phone or whatever and just ask them questions and be this sort of blank presence. We're going to be someone who's showing up as a fully human, authentic person who's likely had similar experience, who's going to be curious with you about what's happening, offer offer company in a time of isolation, and also just really trust that there's no one right way to grieve, that the person who's grieving knows themselves best, and it's mostly just about creating a space for their grief to take up as much room in whatever shape that is in any moment as possible, and, and being comfortable with that. You know, even mental health professionals can be trained theoretically to be comfortable with whatever comes up, but it's so deeply ingrained in our culture that grief is uncomfortable, talking about grief is uncomfortable, that I still feel that as a therapist with other therapists in my own experience in therapy, just because you have that license doesn't mean that you actually know what it's like to show up there. Yeah, I think that is, it's the kind of thing and you always hear about grief of like the club no one wants to be Mm -hmm. in. And like, I really truly believe you don't understand until you've experienced a traumatic loss. Like you can be Mm -hmm. empathetic and people who've been listening for a while have heard me talk about this before that I thought I was doing a good job for people. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I experienced this loss that I was like, oh, I didn't know. And so I think that is something that's really important. And a lot of people who are grief adjacent, who are trying Mm -hmm. to be supportive, often are like, well, I don't know what to say. And so so they don't say anything or they don't know how to show up. So they don't. Mm -hmm. And I would tell people, I, cause I very distinctly remember a friend being like, I don't know what to say to you. And I was like, well, that's good. And she was like, what? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, well, that means you haven't experienced this. So you Mm -hmm. don't know. And I could just see the relief like Mm -hmm. in her face that we think that people who are trying to comfort friends, family, whatever, like I know Mm -hmm. they're not showing up as a volunteer in this official capacity, but I think that you don't know until you experience it. And so realizing as the grief adjacent person that that's okay. And even Mm -hmm. if you have all of this training, 
like you don't know until it happens right. to you. Right. And I think I can feel the difference. There's something, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I know I'm in a group of people who have all had loss, there's just some part of me that relaxes and feels known mm-hmm. that I, I can't feel even with my like deepest, closest people who haven't experienced loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And just like how comfortable you feel talking about it because mm-hmm. people be like, how are you doing? Well, I miss my dad today. And it doesn't need to be this big, sad conversation, but it's just the acknowledgement of, oh, I, I miss him. I think people just don't get it until it happens to them. Right. And I think there's such a fear of doing it wrong and often people just sort of freeze because they would rather not do something wrong than try something. And that totally makes sense. And it makes me think about the ways that our culture, our culture teaches that talking about death and dying and grief are taboo. And Mm -hmm. if there was a more normalized culture around it, I think people would be less afraid um, of doing the wrong thing or would maybe know like you said to your friend would know the relief feel the relief of actually they don't have all the answers and that at least for me one of the things that has felt the most relieving is when people aren't trying to fix it or make it better they're just like being curious Mm -hmm. asking me about my parents or I think if and when anyone is willing to ask me a question I'm like oh okay I can talk about this with you you're willing to ask and not really know what the answer is going to be but like be pretty okay with whatever comes up Yeah. And I think that is something that is such a relief and is a great way to show that empathy and support. To dovetail off of this is one thing that we were talking about before we started recording was what is it like to be considered a grief expert? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people in this space, as we were saying earlier, look to get into this space because they didn't get what they needed and are willing to talk about it openly. And so then people reach out and call you an expert. And I, my experience is I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm not an expert. I just know my experience. But if you can talk a little bit, I mean, you do have official training. Like I have an economics degree, so like not, not helpful <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, um, but like, just what is any thoughts on why that happens? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that we got to that moment of conversation. I'm excited to circle back to it and talk about it more. And, you know, my thinking is that sort of along the lines of living in a society that has deep discomfort with talking about grief and loss and death and dying is that I think anyone who's willing to talk about this topic publicly is sort of considered an expert because there aren't a lot of models or people who are willing to talk about it. And that's unsurprising to me. I think if if there's a vacuum of conversation and then there are people who are willing to fill it, it makes sense that they would easily be considered experts. Like, oh, you, you will talk about this thing that we won't talk about. You must have deep knowledge somehow that we don't have in order to be someone who's willing to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's so interesting about that, and I would love your thoughts, is each grief experience is so unique, mm-hmm. depending on your relationship with the person, how old you are, like where you are in your life. Was it expected? Was it unexpected? Mm-hmm. 
it's all so different. There are, of course, common threads that unite all of those experiences. But that's why for this podcast that I interview as many different people as I can, Mm -hmm. because I had one experience and I lost my dad. We were very close. It was an expected death. Like that's one experience and plenty of people have very, very different experiences. Do you have any thoughts around like being an expert, even though the experiences are also different? Right. I'm also, I think if anyone were to declare themselves an expert and then also put forth any idea that grief looks like one particular thing, I would think, okay, well, then they're definitely not an expert, (laughs) right? But that's also, I think, often what we associate with expertise is like specialty or a a clarity of knowing this is the step-by-step process of which this thing happens. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, you know, now in this moment, I'm curious about the historical field of grief studies or the ways that people have sort of become experts when I think about my earliest exposure to grieving as a process it was you know the here are the five stages of grief and you move through them linearly and when you're done you don't ever go back to that phase again and as someone with lived experience of grief I know that that's not true and I think that the fields is recognizing that more and more but I do wonder if there has been this even like a societal pressure to come up with a clear sense of what grief or a model of what grief looks like also because it's something that we're really scared of and so knowing like how to get through it maybe is something that people want yeah Um, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's becoming historically in the past 30 50 years whatever it was much more academic of those five stages and now there's this appetite as a society, I feel like people are a little more comfortable talking about that, that it's becoming less academic and more human mm-hmm. of how, how do we get through this? What does that look like? And people are getting a little bit more comfortable sharing their stories, which mm-hmm. is really helpful in providing that model because we don't ever talk about this. So like, okay, well, that's how they did it. And they talked about this feeling. So like that feeling I had is normal or not right. crazy. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that bringing that human piece into the cultural conversation is really important. The grief spaces that I am a part of as a facilitator, as a participant that feel the most aligned with my experience are spaces where someone might have skillfulness in creating structure and container and ritual, but doesn't necessarily, and doesn't have a belief about how that space gets filled or what Mm -hmm. needs to happen, but can Mm -hmm. provide, okay, here's some space. We're going to walk through this together, Mm -hmm. but I don't claim to know or anticipate or predict what's going to happen. And that's okay. Those are the spaces in which I feel like, oh, this is a this person might be an expert in that they know that grief is really messy and that it can, my experience at least is that I have all of these different feelings about losing each of my parents that sometimes often feel like they're in direct contradiction to each other, which just makes me feel really confused and having people in my life who recognize that that's normal and that it happens is so relieving. And I think that's a really powerful 
direction that the grief world is moving in is, is also recognizing the importance of being in community and of allowing people the space to have whatever their grief experience is without saying that it needs to look a certain way or take a certain shape or go step one, two, three like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think wherever people can provide a space either for themselves or for someone else they're supporting, or if you're working in this in a professional capacity, providing that space for someone to feel whatever they want to, whatever they mm -hmm. need to is really, really powerful. And I do feel like the grief space and culturally there is a trend in that direction for sure. Mm -hmm. So one thing I would love to talk about, we've keep talking about community but it's a pandemic. And so <laughs> those of us who are respecting the pandemic are isolating and mm -hmm. aren't seeing people and experiencing a loss or an anniversary or whatever it is in the pandemic. It, it looks different than what a lot of us thought it would look like. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about what the isolation of COVID is doing to our grieving processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, something that I've definitely noticed both as someone who's lost some loved ones to COVID and as someone who's a part of this network and is seeing and hearing about hundreds of young adults who are coming through our network grieving someone to COVID is that it's, it's exactly this, is that we don't have access to community and to the, the ways of grieving that we're used to. We haven't gotten to say goodbye to loved ones in the hospital. We haven't been able to gather in community for funerals or for sitting shiva or other community rituals that are about gathering because I think we have very old knowing and wisdom that grieving needs to be done in community and not in isolation. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic is making that really difficult for those of us who are, as you said, abiding by safety measures is that we can't hug a friend who's crying we can't bring someone food uh, and so not only so the the people who are grieving aren't able to access community and then also those who are wanting to support and show up for their loved ones who are grieving also don't have easy ways to make that happen and it does feel like it is another layer of isolation on top of grieving which is already isolating mm -hmm. and I just remember so my dad died in April um, mm -hmm. of 2019 and so his one year was like right at the beginning mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. pandemic and I had like a vision of like the family being together and it was around Easter whatever it was and realizing like oh mm -hmm. I'm gonna be by myself for mm -hmm. this one year first Thing. And I had to like rejigger in my head, like, what did that look like? And I did feel very supported by my friends sent me things, they called me, whatever. I remember thinking, and then I was very confused by this thought of, mm. I'm so grateful that he died when he did. Mm. So we could have a funeral. So his friends mm. could fly in and say goodbye to him and all of this stuff. And feeling gratitude around it was like, frankly kind of a mind fuck <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was like oh, oh wow like mm. I'm grateful that we could all come together after mm -hmm. this and then I remember 
like having conversations that, that I've had with friends over the course of the pandemic who didn't want to wear a mask. And I'm like, me putting a piece of cloth on my face. I have a friend whose dad died in the hospital and she had to say goodbye over FaceTime. I have another friend whose grandma died and they had to say goodbye through the window of her nursing home. Like mm. the not being able, I'm like, it, it sounds like you've experienced this. Like the not being mm-hmm. able to like say goodbye and mm-hmm. to hug, like, I'm going to start crying. The thought of that, like, why would you not wear a mask? Right. So this can stop. And it, I think, sorry, I'm rambling, but I had a conversation with someone that I think the people who have experienced a profound loss take the pandemic more seriously because mm-hmm. you realize how fragile everything is. Yeah. So wherever you want to go from that, I just said a lot. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I really agree. And I felt a lot of disbelief and rage. Like it took me a few months. I'd had this sort of like simmering, I don't know, something simmering that, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be feeling stirred right now in the pandemic. And I, it's just been the last month that I think, especially heading into the holiday season and and seeing friends of mine wanting to prioritize connecting with family, which I really understand, but in doing so maybe drop some of the more cautious safety measures. It was a tipping point for me and I realized, oh, actually I feel such deep anger towards people who are unwilling to give up what feel like very small things to me for the sake of maybe keeping people alive, knowing that actually we'll keep people alive. Maybe you won't have the direct result of contracting and then spreading COVID if you go see this person in this way, even if you're doing it safely, but just sort of the, it's almost like I I see people in my life trying to find ways around the reality of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. even if they're not, you know, and this is different than people like not wearing masks, but there's a part of me that realized, oh, When my parents died, there was no way I could find a way around that. That's just the way that it was. I couldn't find any exceptions to that. And so when I see people trying to find exceptions to what is the safest protocol possible, I just want to shake them and say, how could you choose seeing these people who you could probably, I don't know, we don't know when we're going to be able to see people again, but how could you choose that action knowing that this other action is what is actually going to keep people alive is just beyond me. And I feel, I feel that mirrored back to me by people who have experienced profound loss. Also, that for them, they know actually what it feels like to lose someone permanently and mm-hmm. any amount of safety protocol is worth trying to protect people from it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the way you said, like, there was no way around it. And it just Mm -hmm. was. And like, grief is really uncomfortable. And I think Mm -hmm. people are really uncomfortable with this limitation. And so having gone through it, in a devastating way, you understand some things are just bad. Right. And you just, you deal with it. Right. That's kind of my like, why can't you just deal with it? You know, the feeling that comes up is like, no one you love has died from this. So like, why... Why can't you just be okay with the way that things are? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm seeing yeah. more and more now 
people who were not taking it seriously then know someone who got it and even if it's like young and a mild case mm-hmm. they still are like oh someone I know and like you mm-hmm. don't think it's real until it's someone you know one thing I have noticed and I don't know like where do you spend your time on social media if at all but like on Instagram when I see people who are going to restaurants and going indoors I'm like what are you doing offline mm-hmm. you're comfortable enough putting this online mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. what are you and it's this very weird like judgy strange thing right no I think it makes sense and it makes me think about also the ways that what has become our normals are also subject to and created by what we're seeing our friends do you know if all of my friends are potting with other friends for the winter then it feels more normal to me that that's what's happening I think if all my friends if I lived in a community or a culture where everyone around me was going into restaurants maybe it would feel more feasible for me. And and my community is, yeah, I just am recognizing the ways that we're also shaped by what we're seeing around mm-hmm. us, um, yeah. especially when there hasn't been clarity from our administration about yeah. what we and, should be doing. And we were talking before we started recording about the states that don't have mask mandates. Mm-hmm. And so you like, we think it's normal and like we can draw this parallel between like COVID behavior and also like being comfortable talking about grief. like if there is a model for something, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's what we're doing. And you see in your community, what does that look like? And so I was like seeing a friend outside. I walked by a restaurant and it was completely full indoors. And I was like, (gasps) what's happening? And like, I don't know, I think, but I think also like if you have models of like, this is how you talk about grief and it's okay to like ride these waves then you feel more comfortable doing mm-hmm. that so totally. life parallels <laughs> COVID and grief there's actually a lot that is similar and I, a lot of people including myself who have experienced loss coming into COVID there was something really deeply familiar about mm-hmm. what it felt like and for me what I could most identify as that feeling is that oh this is what it's like when the rug just gets pulled out from underneath us and what we what we expected tomorrow to look like is really different actually than it is and I just remember really feeling an affinity for connecting with other young adult people who have grieved in the beginning of the pandemic because I feel both like they were maybe freaking out a little bit less And there was something with all of us that we were like, oh, we know this. There's something in this actually that we've, it's almost like we have our sea legs a little bit more than maybe people who haven't grieved before because we have been through something that totally rocked our world and shook our foundation, which is I think the collective experience of what people are having under COVID that just was like, oh, interesting, interesting. I didn't expect for grief to feel like it a little bit prepared me to live through a global pandemic yeah and did you have the thought process at the beginning when people started talking about I want to say in like June people Mm -hmm. were starting to talk about like collective grief as the world as a country and you're Mm -hmm. grieving your life of what you thought it was going to be like when I first lost my dad and I'm interested if you felt this with any of your losses that I was like, well, no one will know. And like when people would compare like 
the grief of the death of a marriage and I'd be like mm-hmm. they're still alive like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and get mad and yeah. then like the grief of a job loss or whatever and I'd be like not the same yeah but I think now having grown and maybe out of the anger stage <laughs> is like my there is a really big grief associated with losing the ability to have the life you thought you were going to have and the experiences Mm -hmm. you thought you were going to have and so giving more grace to those feelings is something that I was pleasantly surprised I was Mm -hmm. able to do from the Mm -hmm. pandemic yeah that makes sense to me I think my experience was similar in that there started being I I remember whenever I see anything that's about a grief space I'm like ooh, I want to know about that because cool they're talking about grief I feel like it's like, it's like a niche weirdo thing that I and a couple of people do, but that's like kind of it. So whenever I see it, I get excited. And then when it would be about, oh yeah, like the loss of a job, loss of employment, loss of other things. And, and even when we were building the network, you know, it's called the COVID grief network. And we had a conversation really early on of how are we defining grief? Are we, we even have something in our website that's sort of defining or acknowledging for us that at this time we're specifically meaning grief due to death or serious illness of someone to COVID and recognizing that COVID is is resulting in a lot of grief and loss for everybody, including loss of employment, loss of housing, loss of stability, financial resources, et cetera. But really we had to focus in on, we want to offer grief support in this very specific way. And there was some part of me that also was like, those aren't the same. It's just not the same. And Mm -hmm. And I do think that the collective sort of grappling or reckoning with COVID for people has been, at least in part, a loss of control. Not that, you know, we're like controlling society, but more just that, oh, I think that we generally are moving through our lives believing that we have agency to shift and shape our lives according to how we want to. And once the pandemic began, there was only so much we could do and there was so much that we couldn't change no matter how much we wanted, wanted to or could to, try. Yeah. yeah. And as someone who's like, my life has also really changed because of the pandemic and my housing has changed and my employment has changed and the way that my relationship can unfolds is changed. And there, and I feel the loss of that. I think that my acceptance of that or like ability to identify that is it's taken time. Like within the first month or two of the pandemic, I was, I think I didn't yet feel in my body how it could be to have this thing stretch on for almost, I mean, we'll be at almost a year soon, which is wild. Yeah. 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 That phrase that you just used, the new normal, like that's Mm -hmm. something that like, I know I talked about that with my grief experience of like, this is just, this is what it is now. Definitely a parallel into as a society. I did want to talk a little bit about grief and holidays. This Mm -hmm. year is obviously has its own set of parameters, but Mm -hmm. to just, when we were talking before about what, how grief manifests itself around holidays and depending on what your family traditions are, that looks different for everybody, but just any thoughts there, anything that you found helped you through your grief over holidays wherever you want to take it. Yeah. It's definitely something that I'm thinking about and feeling more this year than I have in a while. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, both of my parents died years ago, so I don't have fresh, fresh grief, although I've also found that I continue to have new waves of grief as my life changes and I come into new aspects of my life that I wish my parents were around for, wish that I could ask them about. I think this year, feeling the ways that I can't access my family, even if I wanted to, is is doing something to me that it hasn't in years past, even if I didn't always go home to see. So the rest of my family is mostly my grandparents and my brother. Most, I don't, I only go home for holidays every couple of years typically. And so it's not totally out of the realm of normal for me to not be home for the holiday mm -hmm. season this year. But the fact that I can't get there, even if I wanted to, and because I'm worried about them, I'm worried about my grandparents whose health is vulnerable. I feel more aware of the ways that the pandemic is keeping us from gathering with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that, I have less of an option to be with people who also knew my parents and could hold how the holiday season might be for me, yeah. which is something that has been really important to me in terms of getting through the holidays while grieving is, is having people around who know that the holiday is complicated for me because it's a time that's associated with family and connection and gathering and at the heart of my family experience is loss and mm -hmm. to not be able to be with all of my people who really hold that for me is really brings up more grief for me it's mm -hmm. another loss I think this holiday season is another loss I totally agree and like have you and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to have you figured out like made a plan of what you're gonna do to try to fill some of that void or to like take care of yourself when you are feeling like this through the holiday season yeah I think an important some important pieces of that are staying connected with loved ones in the ways that I can, reaching out for support early, like mm -hmm. talking to people about how I think this holiday season might just be a little more rough for me than it's been before. And here are some things that are helpful. I would love for you to send me photos of your cat because it feels joyful for me to receive that or just to receive messages from people that they're thinking about me um, mm -hmm. and just building in some support ahead of when I might be feeling the most in grief and unable to reach out. I'm just trying to give myself a lot of space and permission to feel whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. uh, I think so often I can get caught, and I wonder if this is true for you too, is that I can have these stories about the ways that I should feel, and then any deviation from that, I feel bad and confused, and it's taken a lot. It just takes a lot for me to actually really just let myself feel however I'm feeling because I find at least that the holidays not just like winter holidays but also like my birthday and other times I just feel like there's this expectation or story that I have for myself about the way that the day should feel mm -hmm. and then if and then and then if it doesn't even for a moment it stresses me out yeah oh I really appreciate that honesty because I think that's another thing we don't talk about is like you have this expectation of, yes, it's going to be like this. I was doing that a lot with the one year around my dad, my cousin who lost her mom when she was 12. We always talked about how like the lead up mm -hmm. worse than the actual day mm -hmm. and the anxiety around what am I going to feel? What's this going to be like? How am I going to get through this? 
And then when the day comes, you're sad, but you're like, I can do it. And I think for holidays specifically, my dad's house was like the house everyone gathered. And it would be huge family parties, food, drink, conversation, like so Mm. fun. Christmas was always at his house. And last year I was like, I don't want to do Christmas. And like, it was at my cousin's house and it was lovely, but I was like, I hate this. I hate Christmas. I was joking Mm. that I was a Grinch. I hid and hung out with my nieces and nephews because I didn't want to like deal with any of the other adults. I'm like, that's my go-to anyway. I'm obsessed with my nieces and nephews. (laughs) So I was just like hanging out with them anyway. This year, like there was a lot of, because my mom was like really, because my brother and I both have like very small apartments in New York City. (laughs) And and she was like, I really think you guys should come for the winter to Arizona because it's warm. There's more space. There's less people. Like you Mm -hmm. can go out on a walk and like not see 200 people. Right. Like you see five. She was like, this is the year to pivot. And like, she knows how much we like loved Christmas at Mm. our dad's. And we're trying to figure out like, what does that look like this year? Mm -hmm. But even like I see, and I think this is like a function of COVID, but I like see Christmas decorations and I'm like, we're doing this? Mm. What? What? Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think the holidays... I really liked what you were saying earlier about you are trying to proactively get ahead of like, you know, it's going to be hard. And so Mm -hmm. what are you doing to build in support? And I think that that is a very wise thing to do. And so would want to encourage listeners. And now we'll try to think of ways I can also implement this of what can I do, whether it's day of or before that I know Mm -hmm. will be fine. So like our family's very progressive on my dad's side and so around the election we're all very nervous the week of the counting and so like one day I was like can we and we have a big family group chat it's like 17 20 of us whatever <laughs> and I was like can everyone just send pictures of babies yeah <laughs> right like, your kids uh-huh. and like some distraction and like what you're saying like some pictures of cats like uh-huh. just knowing what is gonna like give you some joy in a hard mm-hmm. time and like recognizing however I'm doing air quotes no one can see this silly Oh, it it could be considered like you need we all need to do that because this is hard and I think whether it's around the holidays or just generally like looking for small bits of joy it sounds silly but it's so important for all Mm -hmm. of our mental health I really agree right and it gives a little bit of a break it's almost like you create a little bubble with air that you can just like take a pause for a moment yeah yeah absolutely I feel like that's a good place to end. And I want to just thank you so much. I love like the way you spoke about all of this. And so thank you for sharing your perspective, your story and your resources. And I would love you to tell people where they can find you online, where to find COVID Grief Network. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I've really loved this conversation and I love any you know, any reason to talk about grief, it, it feels kind of weird to say that, but it's just, there aren't enough spaces where I get to bring this part of myself. So thank you for creating this space and for creating this podcast where people out there get to maybe feel some company in their grief too. And yes, for the COVID Grief Network, you can find us online at covidgriefnetwork.org. And just a reminder again, that we offer free individual and group 
grief support to people in their 20s and 30s who are grieving the loss of someone to COVID. And it's a great community. If you wanna learn more about it, we're also looking for volunteers. So if you're someone who's listening to this and thinks, oh, I actually would really love to be with people who are grieving right now. Also, maybe you have your own experience of COVID loss and, and are wanting to show up in a supportive role. We're really welcoming new volunteers at this time too. So that's the way to find out more info about us. Wonderful. Thank you again. I really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you everyone for listening. You can find us online at www.thegriefcoach.co on social at the underscore grief coach. And if you like this content, um, please rate us five stars on the Apple podcast app <laughs> and write a nice review um, that helps other people who are looking for this sort of resource find us easier. Um, thank you. Talk to you guys soon.